0: Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University.
1: Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. Our guest today is Dr. Mary Story, professor in the Division of Epidemiology and Community Health and senior associate dean in the School of Public Health at the University of Minnesota. She is the director of the National Program Office for the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation Healthy Eating Research Program and has done studies far and wide on the the issue of child nutrition especially. She's been elected to the Institute of Medicine and has served on a number of Institute of Medicine committees, including several that she's on currently, one of which is the Committee on the Examination of -of Front-of-Package Nutrition Rating Systems and Symbols. Welcome, Mary. It's nice to have you here. Thank you. So we're talking about school nutrition today. This is obviously an, an issue of major importance, and one where the, it seems to me, at least, like public attitudes are changing. So let's scroll back a little bit and think about the, the um, you know, what food, foods in schools have been like, not today, but you know, 15 years ago, let's say. And I know nutrition people, including you, were raising calls of concern about this. What were the concerns about the schools and the food?
0: The food in schools started changing in rapidly in the early '80s, um, when there was an economic downturn, and then schools started turning to food to um, raise revenue, and then then um, all the beverage companies came into schools that were really unprecedented um, before that, and pretty soon you had had. Um, schools were looking like food stores. And the USDA had lost um, a lawsuit to the soft drink in the American Beverage Institute. And so the only nutrition standards were in school meals. And so USDA had no authority of any foods that were outside the school cafeteria. They were really stripped of any authority. So while school meals, school breakfast and lunch, had to adhere to um, nutrition standards. schools could not in the cafeteria, they were not allowed to have any soft drinks or foods of minimal nutritional value. Um, but right outside the cafeteria, you could have you know um, soft drink machines. So there were no standards, and then everything was just kind of cut loose.
1: Well, I know th- I know there have been concerns about pieces of the, f- the school environment related to food. In addition to the kind of things that you're talking about, fundraisers and things. What are some of the other areas of the f- the school world that where food gets involved?
0: Any more um, things have changed in the last five years, but prior to that, and even now, food is often used as rewards in classrooms. Um, school stores oftentimes sell food. School fundraisers are very common, um, selling really unhealthy foods. So those are the primary places where food is. But you go into a lot of high schools, and there's vending machines all over. And up until the last probably five years, um, when, there's st- when states started passing um, nutrition standards for foods that were sold outside of school meals, um, it was just mainly junk food.
1: All right, so things are starting to change, it sounds like, and in some Things places- started
0: to change. California was the first state um, to pass nutrition standards for foods that were sold outside of school meals. And then currently about 22 states have some type of regulation that's stronger than the USDA standards. And then this year, with the Child Nutrition Reauthorization Act that was signed in December of 2010, um, USDA now has authority to um, have nutrition standards for food sold outside of school meals for the first time in thirty years.
1: So, what's been the impetus for this? Is it concern over childhood obesity in particular? Do you think
0: childhood obesity was really driving all of the change?
1: Okay, because
0: you really saw the um, when when. School foods were really changing, and foods just became you know a part of every school. You know, really unhealthy foods. Um, soft drink, um, Coca-Cola and Pepsi were vying for pouring rights in schools, so they had contracts, and so you saw um, a real increase in obesity in children starting in the 70s, late 70s, and that's about the same time that you really saw the increase in um, all these unhealthy foods
1: in schools. So, is this is the change occurred because of things, uh, local movements? Let's say grassroots changes from moms or school systems concern educators or whatever. Or has the change really come from the top down and started in Washington?
0: Oh no, not at all. Washing. I mean, this it's two thousand ten, um, and so that we finally have will have nutrition standards for food competitive foods. But the, ch- the change was really at the local and the state level. So a lot of the cities, New York City, started making changes early on. Um, a lot of the local school districts really made changes. So it was really much more of a grassroots and state-level movement.
1: Now, I know the Institute of Medicine um, has played an active role in this, and I know you've been involved in this. Um, has, and they've issued reports on foods in schools. Do you think that's been a helpful for us?
0: I was on the Institute of of, um, Medicine Committee for developing the nutrition standards for foods that were sold outside of school. And the report concluded that children really, that there should not be, there's no need to have any foods that are sold outside of school meals. When you think that the average school day is only six hours in the United States, six hours a day that children are in school. You know, if you have breakfast and lunch, why do you even need to have vending machines and food in school, you know, school stores? So our recommendation was that school meals should really be the cornerstone of work, of what kids are eating. And if there's competitive foods... Then it should only consist of the foods that children's diets are really lacking in, and that's fruits, vegetables, and whole grains and low-fat dairy.
1: So, are you pleased with the national legislation, the Child Nutrition Reauthorization?
0: Yes, it's historic in increasing um, six cents a meal. You know, f- so that you can you can have healthier um, breakfasts and lunches. So, and you're, then, what you're
1: referring to is that the the schools get reimbursed additional money for providing meals.
0: Yes, so there was a recommendation that they increase um, the reimbursement rate, um, especially for fruits, vegetables, and whole grains. And then um, USDA will be issuing regulations then on what the standards should be for vending machines, um, foods that are sold in a la carte in the cafeteria, and any that's sold on school grounds during the school day.
1: So things like uh, fundraisers and things sold after school and school stores and things like that would come under the purview of the local school districts then. It sounds like they wouldn't be captured by the national legislation.
0: Only the school day, not after school. What would you like we to We made see? recommendations in the Institute of Medicine report that um, that included after school. And we said for after school even for elementary and middle schools it should only be foods that that um, are healthy um, fruits vegetables and whole grains for high school students there it was a little more lenient in terms of um, what foods could be offered Um, i think it was diet pop diet soft drinks after school no regular Soda um, and then foods had to meet a fat criteria
1: so if maybe we could end with this practical bit of advice from you, if people are listening to this and their parents would like to get involved in their own school system or their educators within a school system or school officials, um, what would you recommend they do to help make advances in this area?
0: Well, all schools have um a school wellness policy that's mandated at the district level through the Child Nutrition, um, through the Nutrition Act. And so they can get involved um, on the school school wellness policy. There's always um, parents. Um, PTAs are becoming more involved, I think, in making the changes. So a lot of the changes have occurred, have really been because of the parents and kind of local... um, health professionals that I really want to improve the health of children.
1: So it sounds like there's a lot that individuals can do, and also it sounds like you're feeling optimistic about this because of the, a lot of things are happening at the local level, but now also at the federal level.
0: Yes, a lot of schools have changed. It's it's There still is a lot of room for improvement. A lot of the foods um, that are school meals really need to change, but there's been a in this area, we really have seen a lot of improvement. Where you haven't seen much improvement is around physical activity, physical education in school, and also high schools really need to be cleaned up. There still is a lot of really unhealthy foods in, in, in high schools, much more so than in elementary schools.
1: Good. Well, thank you for joining us. Today. I appreciate you coming. Thank you. Our guest today was Dr. Mary Storey from the University of Minnesota, where she serves as professor in epidemiology and community health and also a senior associate dean in the School of Public Health. Please visit our website, www.yalerudcenter.org. There you'll find a variety of resources on food and food policy issues, an email newsletter that goes out at no cost, and a list of the other podcasts that we recorded. Thank you.